0: I get the blessing of serving with these fine elders and under the tutelage and leadership of Dr. Eric Mason, who is readying me, teaching me, threatening me, beating me up, serving me good food from his house, and then sending me to plant a church in Camden, Epiphany Camden, next year. Amen. Amen, amen. I'm excited. So I want to dive right into the text. I don't want to waste 18 seconds on nothing but the gospel. I want you, and that ain't no waste. If you would, get together with me in Acts chapter 14. I'll pitch my tent a little bit today in verses 19 through 23. Amen. Amen. This is what the Bible says. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed amen father be with us in this time of sharing of your word lord um we thank you that your word is authoritative and it it, it it doesn't suggest life it demands submission so God might your word be preached today with authority biblical authority um, verbal clarity and gospel centered humility so have your way um, speak to each one of us that we might be encouraged today and reminded of the cross, reminded of the of you laying down your life for us that we might ever know you. So be with us. Have your way in Jesus name. Amen. amen. The title of my sermon today is keep on moving. Don't stop. Now, you'll say amen if you're over 40. Because you'll remember soul to soul. And if you're under 40, then you probably heard it on XM radio. I got the album. I still got the vinyl of that. <laughs> so, this idea of, of keeping moving, it flow. there's a lot in this text. I believe, I, I love this text. This is a rich text. This text hit us, the elders. Pastor, Pastor Mason was teaching us and training us for eldership, and we were going through a rough season. And it was a rough night, period. It was a rough night, a lot of tears. A lot of hurt, um, things we were dealing with as pastors, but such deep unity. And Pastor Mason opened this thing up and it's been a devotion of mine um, hereafter, thus to share that with you today. And what I walked away with is we just got to keep on moving in the power of Christ. Just keep on moving in the power of Christ. So what lands us here in Acts chapter Chapter um, 14 at 19 is back in Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas, um, the people had been praying, and the Lord said to them, Set Paul and Barnabas apart for, for the mission and the work that I am sending them out to do. Yeah, yeah. And then he pushes them out and says, And then they sent them and commissioned them. I love that Paul and Barnabas were members of a local church. You, I'm, I'm, amen. And, and then they pushed them out and they went city to city. Here's the, here's the route they go city to city, hit the synagogue preach the gospel. Some folk come to know Jesus. The Jews hate it. They try, they beat Paul and and Barnabas. They try to kill him and then they go to the next city and do it again. You, You see that? You know, with all the podcasts, we just think church planting is so glamorous. That was their daily, that was their job description. Get beat down, preach, make disciples, go to the next city and run the risk of getting murdered again. What a calling. Well, in this journey, what happened was the Jews would follow them and they had just been in Iconium and preaching and the same thing happened and they land in Lystra and those Jews traveled some hundred miles after them to get them to not to, not to have a theological debate, but to murder them and to see them murdered. Well, what we, as we see in the story... They, the the Jews incited a riot of the people that had just been worshiping them, Paul and Barnabas. You know, folk is fickle. They don't get what they want. They'll turn on you. And they turned here and then they went from worshiping him to stoning Paul and leaving him for dead. Leaving him for dead. Dragged him out of the city, disposing of the body threw him in a field or wherever they did, and the disciples came and rounded and circled about him, the ones that had been with Paul and Barnabas, and they circled around about them, and all of a sudden, Paul popped up. Poosh! Some theologians want to argue that that was resurrection. There was a miracle of resurrection. I, supposing for dead says that he wasn't dead, but there's nonetheless a miracle. You get beat for dead and dragged out of the city, and then you pop up. Amen. (laughs) Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians 11.25 when he talks about those beatings and those things. So Paul and Barnabas get up and um, get out of Lystra because it was unsafe. The very next morning they set out to Derby and 60 miles east, about a three-day journey. Now the easiest route for Paul would have been to sneak to his hometown and maybe find some safety. He, he could have went to Tarsh. That would have been an easy route. That would have been like going from here, jumping on 95, and going to Baltimore. Cuckoosh. Just getting to Baltimore real quick. Just on 95. No toll. <laughs> but he didn't do that. He doubled back to go into the cities that tried to kill him. So he didn't just go city to city getting beat down and then ran out but he goes back to put himself in harm's way to see those churches grown from spiritual infancy to spiritual Spirit. whoo. for you college students this let, might this resonate with you the easiest route is always not the god route most times the roughest route is the god route amen we learn an important lesson here of how paul cared To see those churches grown up, not just saved, but matured and grown up. What can we learn from this passage? If we were challenged in this way, how would we respond? Is our comfy couch, Facebook, Twitter, Christianity, keeping us from really growing in Christ comprehensively? Are we not positionally in a place to serve God outside of what would be convenience or comfort? Do we fabricate suffering for just some wimpy not getting our way and then act as if we're going to die and then call that suffering? Amen. Ask yourself can this, ask yourself this, can we still worship and serve the Lord in the midst of suffering? In the midst of pain, problems, and predicaments, will we be engaged in a way to make God real to a desperate community that sees him as fake? Can we? This is the idea, and I want to lay a little foundation here of suffering. And suffering, I want to say what it's not. Suffering for Jesus is not you at work on Facebook putting John Calvin quotes, and then your boss catches you and tells you you, you're fired. That ain't suffering for Christ. That's called you being lazy. And not doing your job and misrepresenting Jesus on your job. That's not suffering. And suffering is not relegated to Africa and India and overseas. But it's right here. And this is the reality of this text. And it's instricably connected with church planning. My first idea and keep on moving, don't stop, is keep getting up. Keep getting up. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowds. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. So we learn that in Acts 13, they set on journey to plant churches and to see the gospel spread. See, this was the method in which God was using Paul and Barnabas and the apostles and the disciples to see the glory of God Shine throughout the world, sending men on mission, godly men to preach and teach the gospel. And we learned already that they preached so good that they was worshiped. And then from worship, they were one Paul was stoned. I don't know how Barnabas got away. (laughs) Barnabas must have, you know, put his hood, his hoodie on and just slipped to the side and got up out of there. I don't know, but they they got Paul. They got Paul. (laughs) <laughs> and so in this picture they, they beat him unconscious I want to make that they drag him outside leave him for dead Paul talks about this and let me turn to 2nd Corinthians chapter eleven twenty five. 25 and I want you to get this picture as we go in and pose this question 2nd Corinthians eleven twenty five. think what he says three times I was beaten with rods once was stoned three times I was shipwrecked a night and day adrift on sea. So he's, he's, he's reiterating and bringing these things up. So the question, and this is Paul describing the, the, the success of his ministry. So what does Christian ministry look like for you? What does Christian ministry look like for you? <laughs> what does Christian ministry, here's my definition. An imperfect person bringing glory through active submission to his word. An imperfect person, us, bringing God glory through active submission to his word. The Christ-centered missionary is a person that puts him or herself on the line for the sake of bringing people to Christ. That's what Christian ministry looks like. Putting yourself on the line. Bringing yourself in harm's way to see other people out of harm's way. Putting yourself... uh, I mean discomfort. Paul Tripp preached about uncomfortable grace. But our our grace is a leather Jennifer convertible. That's all we see it as. We never see it as a rugged cross. We never see the thorns and the beatdowns and the blood and the mosquitoes in our Christian walk. We are looking for a couch. We need to be looking for the cross. That's what Christian ministry looks like. That's what it looks like. So my question is, do you have realistic expectations of what awaits you in the Christian life? When you came to Epiphany, were you only hearing about all the banging preaching? And, you know, they got rappers, Christian rappers. <laughs> and Pastor E be talking slang. Man, it's so great. It's multicultural. When we get there, everything's going to be great. And you found something else out, didn't you? The devil don't take a break. And he's on mission just like you're on mission. His mission is to kill, main, and destroy. And you run into him regular. And then you got this enemy within enemy, me, that booger named you. He always is worse than the devil. Realistic expectations. False expectations are the foundation for doubt. That's why we get start arguing. That's why when things don't go right, we start complaining that this is not what we expected. Well, I want to let you know Paul's description of what Christian ministry looks like is shipwrecked, beat down, left for dead, spit on, stoned, hated. And that's not much different than Jesus' description, is it? Thank you. (laughs) Amen. The question I pose, Epiphany family, do I fully embrace the inevitability of trials and troubles and terror in serving? Do we embrace it? Do we embrace it? Here's the the implication. The missionary will be opposed. That's in the job description. That's So... It's not that the boss is going to come tell you later, oh, yeah, suffering. No, it's in the job description. A godly vision can only be accomplished through an optimistic faith that views obstacles as opportunities and turns defeats into victories. See, we need the Holy Ghost every day to believe the gospel. See, Jesus accepted these realities. See, sometimes we get saved and all of a sudden we think that's the ticket in, but that's the gospel that keeps and holds and continues. That's the gospel we look to. That's the gospel that keeps us. So we can't use the gospel to move from spiritual death to spiritual life. And then when we get to spiritual influence, Think that we can manufacture our own gospel similac We can't do it We have to rely on the breasted one El Shaddai, Jesus, the Yehovah That he might bring forth the nutrients of the gospel That we might grow and go and serve No matter how hostile the situation may be God is calling us to understand That we will be opposed in Christian ministry We must accept the way of the master. See, this is the route of Jesus. We can't read the Bible and see Jesus suffering and then say Jesus only suffered so that we don't have to. He suffered so that we don't have to suffer in hell. Somebody ought to say amen to that. He suffered that we ought not say suffer in hell. But he did not ever say that we would not suffer in this life. And we will suffer. But the difference is for the transformed believer, suffering is just serving. See, when you're unsaved, suffering is suffering. (laughs) Period. (laughs) When you're unsaved, suffering is suffering. And as an unsaved person, I did everything, hedonism, to accomplish pleasures, to avoid suffering. But when the Holy Ghost grabbed hold of this little nappy head boy from Patterson, New Jersey, there was something about something that was different. I don't know about you, but my wife is white, and I went to a historic black Baptist church that hated black dudes married to white women. I understood suffering early on. Watch it, Doc. <laughs> I understood suffering early on. I ain't talking about no Facebook suffering. I'm talking about being called an Uncle Tom in the name of Jesus suffering. And maybe you suffered as well. As a pastor and shepherd, I hear so many awful stories from the church. And when you come to me, you need me to shepherd you. And you tell me you suffered? I'm going to pray with you. But um, epiphany is like mash. We just patch you up and send you back. (laughs) 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 Suffering is we got to get back up. Paul got back up. The calling of the gospel doesn't say now that you're injured, you're off the hook. They hurt me at the church. I'm not going back. You don't get off the hook. Let me tell you, you're suffering. Woo! I believe you're a Christian now. (laughs) Now that's the fruit. So I say to you, get back up. Get back up. Here's the issue. Do we get back up in our strength? Because that's not getting back up. That's bootleg. We must get back up and stand in the power of the resurrected one. Resurrection says it ain't over. Resurrection says don't quit. Resurrection says I decide when death is death, not anyone else. Resurrection says I control the storm. And so the resurrected one named Jesus caused us to live resurrected lifestyles, flowing out of repentance, on mission, Getting bumped, getting scraped with no helmet. The only helmet we have is the power of the Holy Spirit. It protects and guides us. And so what if you die? Bring God glory. That's called missional suffering. Yeah. Missional suffering. Does your suffering show forth God's glory that bring other people to Christ? First Peter talks about that. If you suffer unjustly, get over it. Bring them glory anyway. Wait on the Lord to bring around and vindicate. He was vindicated at resurrection. When he came back, you know what he said? I told y'all I was coming back. Vindicated. But will you suffer and wait for that vindication? Because it might not happen to heaven. Will you be on Facebook bragging about how you're suffering? Or will you be on the block sharing the gospel in the midst of your suffering? Get back up. Get back up. Paul got back up. My practical application for that, preach the gospel to yourself. How do we do that? Pastor Doug, you saying get back up, but man, preach the gospel to yourself. Have a daily diet of the message of the cross. I call this the Metamucil of the Christian faith. It'll keep you regular. That's the diet. S- stir it up in your life. Drink it down. Like my mother would say, drink it all, baby. <laughs> drink it all. See, y'all got mad amused. I had castor oil. <laughs> and then when I got a little older, I had castoria. That was just castor oil with sugar. <laughs> Priest the gospel to yourself. The multivitamin pill is the gospel. It covers the multitude of areas of growth and strength that we might need, that we need to stand and get up in Christ. When I lived in North Carolina, we used to have these storms, as we talk about still in the, in the idea of getting up. We used to have these storms, and in these storms, um, Hurricane Hugo, 1989, that was a booger. That storm was so bad, they named, they changed the Charlotte Hornets mascot to another name because his name was Hugo. Well, they would have mandatory evacuations if the storm was real bad, the hurricane or the tornado. And then they would have voluntary evacuations if the storm was pretty bad, but not at a category to force evacuation. So then you could stay. What am I saying about getting up? See, sometimes you do need to evacuate when, when you sense something in the Christian wall. You need to stop and fall out, fall back. But other times, you need to just wait out the storm and trust in the Lord who's able to keep you in the storm. Matthew talks about the storm coming in the disciples, and he says, oh, ye of little faith. Doug Logan translation, why y'all keep punking out? I'm the God who saves. I'm the God who saves. Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know that you are separated alienated from God for all eternity and by the blood of my son I've brought you nigh? You think I can't handle a storm? You know Christians boy we we lock the doors and leave the windows down and wonder when the car is stolen That's That's not comprehensively thinking about the reality of the trial You lock the door and leave the windows open They still gonna get your car. So let's think comprehensively in the reality of getting up. We don't get up in our strength, we get up in his strength. Paul didn't get up in his strength, but he got up in the strength of the Lord. Keep getting up. My second idea is keep preaching. Keep preaching. Verse 21. When they preached, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, I'll stop there. Let me back up 20. I like 20 C on the next 20 B. He. He rose up and entered the city and on the next day went on with Barnabas to Derby. I want you to notice there was no nine one one called. Paul didn't have no HMO. It was Jehovah Rapha was his HMO. He got straight up. He didn't Twitter and say, I'm quitting. He didn't brag about his suffering. He went 60 miles to go do it again. What a testimony. Might that ring out in us? I know some of you here want to quit right now. You want to quit on God. You want to quit on the church. You've been hurt. You've been damaged by the people you've tried to love. And you're sick of telling them the truth of the gospel and they keep rejecting you. Keep preaching. Keep preaching. Don't complain while you're preaching. Just preach and live out the gospel missionally in a hostile world. Was Paul just a glutton for punishment? Or a missionary that loved Jesus and seeing people saved. And he loved church planning. They beat him down. He walked those 60 miles. Perseverance is not just pulling yourself up. And saying, I think I can like little Thomas the train. There is no champion in you. Only thing in you is is mess and filth and grime. That if it was in your refrigerator, you would just throw it out. Not Not the stuff out. You would throw the refrigerator out if the stuff that was in you was in your refrigerator there is no champion there is no best me there is no self help when we helped ourselves before we knew jesus we helped we were helping ourselves to an endless christless grave on our way to hell to burn for all eternity That's the only help we've ever helped ourselves. We have no strength. We have no power. But there is a God who sits high but looks low. Who considered our lowest state. Thought it not robbery to be equal and suffer a nasty death. So we got to keep preaching. That's what he did. On the cross, Jesus kept preaching. In the midst of his suffering, he says... He suffers unjustly. That's what the thief said, right? And he says today, he's still preaching, ain't he? Before his last breath, still preaching. Today you'll be with me in paradise. On the cross preaching. Does your suffering look like preaching through your suffering? Or do you have convenient suffering that is like an accentuation to make you smell more like a Christian? we got to keep preaching. We've got to preach preaching. No self-help. None of that championing me. To be a faithful witness means that you will face hostility. The pastor teaches us three things. One thing he says, and strengthening, strengthening, to strengthen, to support, to p- place firmly upon, to, to confirm or to establish. Look what he says in 22, strengthening the souls of disciples. Now he's doubled back to redo covenant community class Good. after he got beat down for doing it initially. My, my, my. Does, your, does your, does our Christianity look like re-entering trouble for the sake of others? Does it? I mean, one time is enough. You beat, what do they say? <laughs> you beat me down first time, shame on me. Shame on you. Second time, shame on me. Well, the Christian life says shame on the devil every time. We're just going to go back and go back. And I know you've been rejected in sharing the gospel. I know this folk said this. I know this folk said that. I know grandma said, baby, you crazy. That preacher don't wear no suit. He can't be no real church. Y'all, don't, y'all, y'all got that old beauty bop music and all that mess. The Muslims on the block got the sharp haircuts and a sharp tongue slaying and talking junk and, our, and sometimes our theology is weak when we get to talk to them and then you feel rejected, you've given your best, you shared the word, you believe it's truth, and you were rejected violently. Yeah. That's not a license to back out and say, well, I tried. I shook the dust off my feet and walk away. That ain't even biblical. That's out of context. You go back and you keep preaching. Not just with your lips, but with your life. And keep preaching. So he strengthened the souls as he went back. And when he strengthened them, this is Paul's way of an emotional, healthy spirituality. He says he strengthened the souls, the souls, the the inner self, the the life and, and, and the feelings and your mind and your heart. So he's saying, grow up. I came back to strengthen you. I came back to help you grow up that you might come to mature manhood because he knew that a church that was going to suffer hostility and violence and persecutions and wolves and liars and people that would come against it and heretics and apostates, they needed to be spiritually mature, sound in teaching, and supported. So he didn't just strengthen them but he when he doubled back, but he came back and encouraged them. And he encouraged them, the Bible says in 22, encouraging them to continue in the faith. So he encouraged them. What that means is he stimulated development. Doug Logan translation. Challenge to grow up. Let me give you a real life example. When you come to me or one of the elders and tell us of things and the things you're going through. Sometimes you're not really going through nothing. Don't be mad at me. Sometimes you really ain't going through nothing, but it's 911 to you. So when we say, "Listen, just get Pete Cazares' book, Emotional Healthy Spirituality," (laughs) read the Bible, get a job, stop playing Xbox all day, stop having a girlfriend before apartment. Don't, don't, don't be shocked. <laughs> Sometimes, all of us, we just need to grow up. We need to be strengthened and encouraged. John Stott said, How would you summarize, they asked John Stott, John Stott, an Anglican theologian, one of my favorites. He said, how would you summarize the Christian faith in America? He said, growth without depth. That's sobering. Doug Logan translation. (laughs) The tree is getting bigger, but the fruit's not getting no riper. Lord, grow us up. Help Help us, Lord. It was not just strengthening but encouraging and and to continue in the faith. Colossians Colossians 1.23, let's get there. My clock is chasing me right now. Colossians 1.23, look what the Bible says. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, somebody say stable. stable, and steadfast. Not shifting from hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and which I, Paul, became a minister. So Paul is calling for them to be stable, not 10 jobs in eight weeks. Stable. He's calling for them to have a steady diet of spiritual maturity and submission and growth in the midst of suffering. You don't get a vacation in suffering, but it's a part of your sanctification is what Paul is doing. He's it's rigged. God Jesus has rigged it this way that we grow in and through suffering and bringing him glory. Well, that's why. Thank you. That's why health and wealth. When I watch TBN makes me angry. And if you like that stuff, be mad at me. It makes me angry. That name it and claim it, grab it and blab it annoys me. See, suffering is the normative position of the missionary. On the cross, there was a stench of death, old and new blood, flies, mosquitoes, murderers, burglars everywhere. Death, dying, and pains. The cross didn't have lattes and pina coladas and Wi-Fi. It was not a vacation. It was death. Murder. Suffering. That's what it was. Jesus suffered filthy at the filthy hands of evil men that look like us. Therefore, a non-suffering Christ is not in the Bible. And a non-suffering Christian, amen somebody, is not in the Bible. There's no such thing as a non-suffering Christian in the Bible. Not in this life. I want to meet him. Suffering on the mission is not failure for the Christian, but suffering is fuel for the Christian life. We must persevere in ministry, knowing that despite opposition, we are on mission with God and we and we will see his purposes fulfilled. So we talked about keep getting up as Paul was beat down. And then as he was beat down, he got up and he went 60 miles and continued to preach and went double back and put himself in harm's way to strengthen their churches, to grow them up. Because he knew that when they were mature, they could endure. And when they were mature in the faith and in Christ, they would endure to see what? To see a church in North Philly as an extension of the faith, to see the whole gospel spread throughout the world. And now here's my last idea Keep on planning churches and preparing men for ministry. Verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. See, Paul and Barnabas picked up some leaders, picked out some leaders in the church. After praying and intensified fasting, they presented these new leaders to God. They committed them to the Lord. They set in order godly male Elders, amen, in the church. This is, this is, I don't have a silver bullet here. I have the same silver bullet in the Bible. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all the things I've taught. No silver bullet, no secret weapon. Our secret, our public weapon is the gospel. Planning churches, making disciples, maturing those disciples to leaders, empowering those leaders to planners, elders, and deacons, period. What am I saying? Paul didn't get a .org webpage when he went out after Antioch. He was sent out by Antioch to the ministry that God had called him, and he planted churches with elders and leaders. He didn't start an organization with a catchy phrase and a good logo. He didn't. He planted churches and he prepared men. This goes in line. Ephesians 3.10 says this. Let me get there. I don't want to mess up. Ephesians 3.10. Look what the Bible says. Ephesians 3.10. Look what it says. Man, man. So that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities and the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how is he doing it? What's the vehicle where which Christ is using to make his manifold wisdom known throughout the world? The church. I'm not mad at parachurch. I love Campus Crusade dudes and Young Life dudes. They cool, but they don't replace the church. I love the church in all its mess because I'm its mess. I love the church. I complain, I vent, I whine, but I love it. And I love church in the hood. Specifically, I love grimy, pants sagging off, they behind jokers who don't listen. Girls struggling, spending more money on a full set than they rent. I love you. And I want to see you grow up in faith. I want to see you disciple. I want to see churches planted in the hood. Second Timothy, and I'm almost done. Second Timothy, get there with me. Chapter 2 Timothy 2. So the vehicle he's using is the church, blood-bought believers, And now, let me give you a methodology in his leadership development plan. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. Share in suffering. When you share the gospel with somebody, do you ever say, you ought to believe Jesus and repent and come suffer with me? Does our evangelism look like that? Come suffer with me. You know what? They're going to probably hate us and we could probably die. But come join Epiphany. Covenant community class starting next week. (laughs) Do we say that? Maybe we ought to. Maybe we ought to. Paul said, share in the suffering. Paul also says that you might know him, Jesus, in the power of his resurrection. And the koinonia, the partnership, the connectedness, the, part, the, the, the unity, the fellowship of his sufferings. So we get to the power of his resurrection and we stop. And then we raise our hand, but we don't keep going, comma, and his sufferings. Do you rejoice in the sufferings of our Lord? that you get to participate in? Or do you only rejoice in the sufferings of our Lord that stops us? You can't separate suffering and serving. It is a part of the Christian life. Don't spend all your energy avoiding it. You're losing out on great growth in Christ. You're losing out on seeing God high and lifted up. Ask Stephen as they were stoning him. He looked up and Jesus didn't sit down on him, but Jesus got up and said, get it. Come on up here with me. Suffer well, because you'll be with me. Does our suffering, does does it look like that for us? We got to work towards looking like that. We have to work. Keep preaching. Keep getting up, no matter how rough it gets. Preach the gospel to yourself. Keep preaching. Endure rejection, knowing that your Lord endured rejection. And continued on and was vindicated. Allow him to vindicate you as you keep on the mission and keep planning and preparing men. This is God's silver bullet to seeing the whole world know Jesus. In conclusion, what caused Paul to keep getting up, keep preaching, and keep planning churches and preparing leaders? It was his dependence on the Lord. Jesus is the only person you can come before desperate and messed up without your hair done, without brushing your teeth, and lay out before him and humiliate yourself in worship to him. Other people will laugh you out of the house, but when you do that with Jesus, he loves it. He loves it. So that's what Paul depended on, not any strategy, not no conference, none of that. He had had a desperate dependence on the Lord. What does that mean? Paul was beaten to a pulp and dragged out of the city and alienated and left for dead. Jesus was beaten to a pulp, dragged out of the city to Golgotha's Hill to be murdered. He was not just left for dead, but he died a criminal's death. He was not just unconscious, but dead. Paul At just about every place in his missionary journey, he always had someone with him. But Jesus was alone on the cross, deserted by his friends, his disciples, and ultimately he suffered the ultimate alienation. He was separated from the Father on mine and your behalf. Desertion and separation from his Father is what he suffered for our sakes. He became sin who knew no sin. See Paul at the risk of dying went out and put himself in danger's way. But Jesus at the cost of dying went top to the went to the top of the cross for the redemption of fallen, messed up, jacked up humanity, us. We persevere as we recognize that we have total dependence on the one that went all the way for the sake for our sake. To bring others to God. Your, your Christian life and suffering in a hostile world, it has to go all the way. It can't stop midway. Ain't no half-stepping in the Christian walk. He calls those that follow him to go all the way. The question is, will you answer the call? Some of us have been at Epiphany sightseeing. Somebody ought to say amen. As Daryl Bell would say, get the word, but don't get the work. God is calling out, looking for some men, not no mice, to stand up and serve in this place, at this moment, in this city, for this time. Get off the bleachers. Repent of our laziness and our complacency. Allow the power of the Holy Spirit to move us into mission. So if you're sitting back today, I'm praying that the Lord is convicting you, particularly men. And I'm praying for some emails of people saying, Pastor Doug, I've been chilling on the comfy couch of my Christianity, and I want to get in the game. Father, we thank you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Your grace is sufficient, proficient, efficient, every other ishent there is. We thank you. Lord, help us as a church to grow in the reality of this suffering. Lord, I, I just personally thank you for bringing my, eyes, my eyesight through my heart through your word and healing me in the midst. Thank you. And I pray that many men today would be challenged and would step up and endure suffering as a good soldier for Christ Jesus, be with us now and the remainder of our gathering for your glory and by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.